Love is patient. Like not honking the horn when you're already 11 minutes late. Love is kind. It's doing all the chores so she can wake up to a clean house. It does not envy. Being truly joyful when your friend gets the promotion even if you didn't. It does not boast. Love does not remind your kid of his 20-game losing streak. It is not proud. How about we apologize more often? It is not rude. And let's not value a like over someone's feelings. It is not selfish. Love shares that last cookie. It is not easily angered. It breathes when it wants to scream. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not bring up the past, even though right now it'll be really convenient and totally win me this argument. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love doesn't get excited when people get destroyed online. It always protects. Love always stands guard. Always trusts. Always leans into the promises. Always hopes. Always sees what's possible. Always perseveres. Always gets up one more time. Love never fails. And it's always worth it. Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those joining us online. We are so glad that you've chosen to join us on this beautiful Mother's Day morning. Uh, today, we are continuing in our One Another series, where we are looking at the different One Another statements of the New Testament. If you were with us last week, we began our look at the command to love one another. And in that last week, we looked at the truth that as Christians, love is not an option, but it is a mandatory and natural part of our life and our relationship with God. As Christians, love is an outflow of our relationship with God, and we are called to love not only our family, not only those within the church, but we are called to love all of those that we meet and interact with. Jesus in Matthew 5 goes so far as to say we should love our enemies as well. So as Christians, God's incomprehensible love for us leads us to love others. We concluded last week by looking at the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, who had lost their first love of God, and in that, their love for others. And in that, we saw some practical wisdom for us when we lose our lack of love for others or for God. And so we, last week, we, we, we looked at this call of, to love one another in our lives, and we kind of looked at the, the, uh, more of the heady aspect of that. Today, we're going to examine some more of the practical elements of how we love one another. And I don't know about your world, but in my world, nobody fulfills the call to tangibly love one another better than the moms in my life. And so I can't think of a more appropriate Sunday to look at the call to intentionally and purposefully love one another. Moms serve selflessly. They love unconditionally, and they give of their lives for their children and their families. I love this story, this story I read this week. It said a teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and what the magnet does. The next day, they had a written test, and she included this question. My full name has six letters. The first letter is M, and I pick up things. Who am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was shocked that over 50% of the students answered with the word mother. Almost every year, Salary.com puts out a study on how much moms are worth. In 2019, they estimated the value of a mother's work by tracking real-time market prices of all the jobs that moms perform. The result the median annual salary deserved for moms in 2019 was $178,201. So $178, 
The explanation they provided for this salary was that moms fulfill the traditional roles like housekeeper, dietitian, and daycare teacher, and also newer roles like network administrator, social media communications, and recreational therapist. And all those different roles and jobs filled by moms resulted in that salary of $178,000. But moms do it all, and they do it not for the salary, the recognition, or praise, but moms do it out of their love for their family and for their children. Moms are an incredible blessing. They have incredible influence on our lives, and for many of us, they have been the rock in our lives. That being said, I know for many, Mother's Day is one of the more difficult days of the year to show up at church. Some lost their moms recently or at a young age, or your mom wasn't the wonderful influence in your life. For others, you long to be a mom, but for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. For some, you have a child that has gone astray and you haven't heard from in years. For others, you lost a child in the womb or in childhood. Or for others, it could have been an abortion that you still struggle with. Whatever the reason, if you fall in that camp, we are so thankful that you have joined us today. And our prayer for you is that you will be encouraged today by God's love for you and encouraged to press on in your call to love others. So today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and then we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 1 through 8, looking at this call to love one another and how we can do so in a tangible and practical way. So first, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever, have, has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day when we get to look at this passage of Scripture and be reminded of your incredible love for us, Lord, but also our call to love one another. Lord, we thank you for, for the moms in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the other ladies and other men in our lives who we have seen love well. God, I pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, that you would uh, just refresh our hearts uh, with your love, Lord, and that you would empower us and give us the strength and, and courage and, and knowledge we need to love others well. God, we thank you that you are love, Lord, and that you first loved us through sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. May we show that love to others. In your name we pray, amen. So one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about last week was God's love for us, and that God is love and that he is the source of love. We see that again in the First John 4 passage today. God loved us first by sending Jesus to die for our sins. God is the source of love. Love 
comes from God. And if we are in God, then we will show that love to others. Paul in Galatians 5 writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. God is love, and if we are His and we are maturing in our faith, then love should be a natural flow of that relationship. The best example I can think, uh, think of kind of from our natural world is our relationship within the context of families. Our DNA causes us to look like and have characteristics of our parents. If you look at a family group, you can see that they are related to one another. They might have the same nose or the same eyes or they might have the same height or they might have similar personality characteristics. But our DNA makes us naturally look like our family. In the same way, if our Heavenly Father who has saved us is defined by His love, then so too should we as Christians be defined by and driven by our love for others and the things that He loves. Just like our nose or our eyes or our ears tell the world that we may, ha- we, may, we may be our father's son or our mom's daughter, it is our love that tells the world that we are God's child. So our love is of God. It comes from God, but it's not enough to just feel love. We are called and motivated to show that love through action. One of the things I love about that video that we just showed to begin with is that it, that it illustrates what love looks like acted out. That's why I love this 1 Corinthians 13 passage. It brings to life this idea to love. Action. Love demands an action. It's not just a feeling. It's not something we ascend to. It's not something we just feel emotionally. But love is something we are called to show and we are called to do. We aren't called to just say we love you, but we are called to live that love out. Thomas Rhett's a country singer. He has a song, and one of the lines says, Love was just something we said for a midnight kiss. That's not love. That's the opposite of love. That's, that's selfishness. So just saying we love someone is not enough. Just feeling love is not enough. We are called to show that love to one another. In Scripture, we talk about it. This kind of love is called agape love or brotherly love. And this agape love we are talking about here is used and talked about throughout the New Testament. In fact, the word agape is used 116 times as a noun. And it's also used 137 times as an action or as a verb. Love is not something to be mentally ascended to, but it's meant to be lived out in our daily lives and evidence to the world. So that's our first point today. We are to love one another in action. In his book, Dad, the Family Coach, Dave Simmons tells of an act of sacrificial love that occurred at a shopping mall. One day he took his 8-year-old daughter, Helen, and his 5-year-old son, Brandon, to the Cloverdale Mall because he needed to pick up some tools at Sears. That kind of dates this story a little bit. Anyway, they pulled into the mall parking lot, and there was a big sign that said Petting Zoo. Immediately, kids jumped out, and they said, Dad, can we go? Can we go? Can we please go? The dad saw that it wouldn't be any trouble, and he thought, well, maybe it'll make my trip even faster to get rid of the kids and send them off. And so he, uh, he, he gave them both a quarter and said, go. And so they bolted away as he went to the store to buy the tools. A few minutes later, he said he was waking his way down the aisle when he spotted his daughter, Helen, slowly walking up behind him with her head down. She looked up and said, well, Daddy, the petting zoo cost 50 cents, so I gave Brandon my quarter. And then she said the most beautiful thing of all, she repeated their family motto, which is love is action. Love is action. Love pays the price. Love is expensive in our lives. Love gives to others. Love is extravagant. Love is not a mindset or a mental place to ascend to, but love is an action to be lived out. Verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 give us that action of love. 
As we love one another, love leads us to be patient when we don't want to be patient. It leads us to be kind when our heart's nature is hard. It doesn't envy when someone has it better than us, but it celebrates. It does not boast and is not proud when we seem to have it better than someone else. Love doesn't dishonor. Love doesn't belittle. It doesn't tear down, even when to do so might lift us up. Love doesn't grow angry when anger is our natural response. It doesn't store up a record of wrongs to pull out in a fight, but instead love leads us to take the action to forgive. Love doesn't celebrate in the evil or sin of the world, but instead celebrates the truth and hope available to all. Love always leads us to protect, to trust, to hope, to persevere. Love never fails. And many of those descriptions of love that Paul gives us here become the one another statements that we are called to throughout the New Testament. Love is the motivation, and these one another statements are often the action we are called to live out. Just a couple of examples. Love calls us to be patient and kind. I'm going to tell you this, this story is about my wife. She wrote it the way she wrote it here. Uh, so don't, don't text her and try to get me in trouble. She said, those of you that have been around, and she wrote it, my wife, she wrote it in third person, for more than five seconds know that she loves to talk, especially when she's excited or fired up about something. She shared that when she was a teenager and she got excited about something, her dad would ask her this question every time. Is this something you need me to solve, or would you like me to just listen? And usually she would just say, listen, and so he would go, and he'd get himself a glass of tea, put a lemon and a straw in it, and he would just sit down and listen to her talk. That's patient love lived out. Uh, Sacrifice is letting the overwhelmed mom at the grocery store whose kids are on the verge of losing it go ahead of you when you're in a hurry. Love doesn't envy, but is genuinely excited when your friend tells you that they got a new boat or they got a new promotion or a new car, even when you just spent all of your savings on braces for your kids. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We talked about this. But this is the spouse that keeps that mental list. And when the other spouse gets home, you unload on them. But instead of that, love causes us to forgive and forget that list. But instead, remember the positives instead of the negatives. We're going to spend all Sunday on this next week on the call to forgive one another. But forgiveness is an action that can only be motivated by our love that comes from God. I love this story of the intentionality of forgiveness. Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross, was confronted one day with the memory of a betrayal she had experienced years before. But she acted as if she had never heard of the incident. A friend asked her, Clara, don't you remember what that person did to you? No, said Clara, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Forgiveness is a beautiful act of love that can only be done through intentionality, intentionality and loving and forgiving others. We could go on, but you understand service is an act of love, kindness is an act of love, sacrifice is an act of love. So if action is the primary means of showing love, then the challenge for us, the challenge for you and me right now is to think of who can you show love to today or this week or this month? Is there a wrong you've been holding on to for far too long that you need to forgive and move on from? Is there a family member or a friend that you are frustrated with and you need to show grace to and patience towards? Perhaps there's someone on your heart that over these last couple of weeks that God is calling you to serve or show kindness to. But if we are children of God, if that's who we are as Christians, then we should begin to look more and more like our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father is love. So it is our DNA as believers to love others. Who could you show love to this week? So the first point is that love is an action, and the second attribute of love is that love values others over our own self-interests, where love is not self-seeking. 
If we put others first, we are naturally patient, we are naturally kind, we naturally forgive, and so on. So love must begin with valuing others over ourselves. Love puts others first. The early Christian church, we like to glorify the early Christian church, but it had its share of issues. But the one thing that the early Christian church got right over and over and over again is that they loved others. They loved one another and they loved those around them. In Acts 4, 4, 32-35, it tells this story. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. What a beautiful picture of selflessness and of action of putting others above themselves. Can you imagine selling everything you have to help out another person in the church family? That could not be more countercultural, but it's a beautiful picture of love. But perhaps the more amazing thing about the early church is that they not only looked out for one another and for the poor, but they looked out for the poor and needy all around them. Julian the Apostate, the 4th century Roman emperor, hated Christians. He longed to stamp them out because they were ruining his society and the religious system that he loved. But even he had to say this about the Christians and the Christian movement. Julian the Apostate said, Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. He said, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, the Christians, care not only for their poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. The early church loved others, and it was recognized by all who saw them. When a plague hit a community, the, the Romans would flee while the Christians would stay and care for the dying. When a man was born disabled or poor, it was because they were cursed by the God. When someone died, their bodies were often left out to rot because no one would risk contracting the illness themselves. Yet the Christians cared for the sick, buried the dead, and looked after the disabled. They didn't rely on the government. They did it. They didn't worry that they might get sick and die. They loved the one that was sick and dying and showed them love, valuing others above themselves. There are examples throughout the history of the Christian faith, but anytime there was a revival, anytime the faith spread, it was through the sacrificial love of Christians, often in the worst of circumstances. If you want to see the Christian faith spread across our nation in our community, then we need to love others, love the least of the, love our neighbors, love our fellow believers. And love our families sacrificially. Julian, the emperor, hated the Christians. Yet even when he saw, even when he saw them, he saw and recognized their love and the genuine nature of their faith. That's what the world needs. That's the primary way we reveal Jesus to the people in the world around us. It's through our love. But how do we do this? It starts with a choice to let God change our hearts, which will change our desires and actions. We do this, like we talked about last week, by drawing close to God through prayer, through reading His Word, through coming and studying the Bible. We do this by examining God's DNA and allowing Him to work through us to change our mindset from us to others. And then we do our best to live it out daily in the form of acts of love. I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but uh, I got to see this lived out in my life over the, really the last five years or so. Uh, my grandma suffered for years with Alzheimer's, um, and Alzheimer's is an awful disease because it takes your mind, it 
takes your personhood, it takes your everything and leaves you with just your body. Alzheimer's takes everything until you finally get to the point where your mind is so debilitated it no longer remembers to do the basic things like eating and drinking and then eventually breathing. For my grandma, she spent multiple years in memory care facilities and multiple years on hospice. Uh, she was on hospice so many times because she wouldn't die fast enough, so they'd take her off hospice and put her back on. Um, and so for many of those years, my grandma was in a nursing home and memory care unit just down the street from where my parents lived. And the easy thing for my mom to do would have just been to put her there and let the staff deal with her. But nearly every night for three, four, five years, my mom would get off work. She would go down to the nursing care, to the hospice, the memory care, wherever she was, check on her mom, feed her dinner, visit her, value her, and then tuck her into bed for the night. The world said, that's a waste of time. My grandma will never remember those visits. There was never a cheerleading squad there to celebrate her, and there was rarely a pat on the back for her service and love. But every night she went, and she served, and she showed patience beyond comprehension, and she deferred her desires out of love for her mom. That kind of love is not self-seeking. It was never shared on social media for likes. In fact, I'll likely have a text when I'm done, upset that I shared it with you today. But that kind of love models God's love for us and his love to the world. That is selfless love. That is self-sacrificing love. That is putting others' interests above our own. That is agape love. And that is the love that the world needs to see modeled by us as Christians. We should love our elderly different than the world. We should love our family different than the world loves their families. We should love our brothers and sisters in Christ different than the world. And we, like the early church, should love the world different than the world loves itself. That is the DNA of our Father, and that should be the DNA and the primary characteristic of us as his followers. Love is of God. It is an action that we show and we serve the world in. Last week, we spent some time talking about, well, how do we regain our love for others? Or what do we do if we're struggling to feel God's love towards others? That's when we looked at the Revelation 2 passage, when God calls the church of Ephesus to repent and return to their first love. But today I want to talk about, well, what do we do in that moment when we just don't feel like loving others? Or we don't feel like putting someone else's needs or desires in front of our own? What do we do when we feel tempted to seek our interests as opposed to loving in that moment? C.S. Lewis has a quote in Mere Christianity that, that I love about this issue. Lewis writes, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. I love that quote. Sometimes we don't feel it, and we just need to do the loving thing that we know God is calling us to do. As followers of God, we often, almost always, we know what the loving thing to do is, and sometimes we just have to intellectually override our feelings and love as God has called us to love. 6 a.m., when my son wakes up and his diaper has seen better days, my feelings, my emotions, my self-seeking nature say roll over, put the pillow over my head, maybe try to hit my wife a little bit so that she might wake up, but nothing in my nature or in my feelings say love in that moment. But intellectually, I know to love my child and to love my wife, I need to get up, change the diaper, put on the coffee, and start my day with my son. I might have not have the emotion or the feels in my stomach, 
but love leads me to act. When your neighbor has been a jerk to you, but you see that their sidewalk needs shoveled, your emotions likely will say, don't do it, but loving God says, go shovel the driveway. When that child in your class that has driven you nuts all year has a need, your emotions say, you got what you deserve, but God, God's love leads you to act. When your coworkers whose life is a dysfunctional mess loses their job or relationship, and your first thought is, I should lecture them, Christ's love gives you the patience to wait for the right time to speak truth and motivates you to give a hug or meet an immediate need. When you are wronged and your emotions immediately say revenge, God's love can override and can forgive. When your desires and feelings say, I deserve the praise, God's love allows you to step back and shine the accolades and praise on others. When your natural instinct is to look out for me and my family's interests alone, God's love motivates you and I to action on behalf of others, on behalf of the community, on behalf of your neighbor. Love has to be more than just emotions. Love is deeper than feelings. And God's love empowers us to override our feelings and to act and to serve in God's power. So that's our final point. When we don't feel like loving, act in God's love. I love how Greg Morris put this. He said, the main problem with a wait until you feel it love is that it comes more from Hollywood than it does from the Bible. It fundamentally undermines the two greatest commands Jesus gave us. The command to love God with everything and others as ourselves. This kind of love often, uh, uh, that this kind of thinking often assaults this kind of love. Uh, and it oppresses our natural cravings and inconveniences our self-actualization. Then he gives these examples. He says, love your neighbor as yourself regardless if they have wronged you. Love your neighbor as yourself no matter how unpopular they are. Love your neighbor as yourself notwithstanding the fact that they embody every pet peeve you didn't even realize you had until you met them. And he says, more importantly, love God with everything no matter how busy you are. Love God with everything no matter how angry with him you may be. Love God with everything no matter how sick, tired, or confused you are. There are no footnotes, there are no asterisks, there are no qualification nuances in these two commands. Not feeling it is a problem to overcome, not an excuse to disobey God. So sometimes we just have to act in love, even if the feels aren't there. Instead of waiting for your inner affections to muster the appropriate love for someone, ask this C.S. Lewis question, what would I do if I did have the appropriate feelings toward them? What would I do if I were following God's command to love my neighbor? Would I get off the couch and apologize to my wife, even if I don't feel like it? Would I call the family member I haven't spoken to for years? Would I ask my neighbor over for dinner? Use your God-given imagination to picture what loving looks like, and then do it. And then pray as you do it that God would give you his love, his emotion, his feelings for that person. When we don't feel like loving, press pause. Think about the loving thing to do would be, and then act, serve, forgive, show patience as you know God's love would lead you to do. And then as we act, we do so in faith that God will give us his love for others as we love others. We do so praying and trusting that God will give us the fruits of the Spirit as he's promised, that he will empower us with his love, and that he will override that he will correct, that he will reorient our feelings and our emotions around his love for those around us.
May God's love grow and abound in our lives as we seek to love one another and love all that God has put in our lives. I'm going to read 1 John 4, 7 through 12 one more time. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Love never fails. So as we leave today, we do so in that promise and in that hope with the mission and call to show God's love to others this week. In our words and in our deeds, in our actions, even when we might not feel like it. And as we love others, as we love one another, we do so with the confidence that love never fails. And we do so praying that God would give us his compassion, his love towards those around us. And we do so praying that many might come to know God's love for the first time. So as we respond to this call to love one another, to love others in action, uh, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we know God's love? Have we experienced God's love? The Bible there in, in 1 John 4 says, God is love, love comes from God. So if we don't know that love, we can't really show that to others. So do we know his love? Have we experienced his salvation and his forgiveness of sins? If the answer is no, would you surrender your life? Would you make him Lord of your life today and trust him and experience his love? If you have questions about what that means, you can call me. You can come and talk to me. You can ask a friend or a parent that you know as a follower of Jesus. Would you uh, discover and ask the question in your life, do I know God's love personally? If the answer to that is yes, I know God's love. I am a follower of Jesus. Then look at your life. Is that DNA reflected in your life? Are you loving others as God has loved you? And it's more specifically, where might he be calling you to love in action? Who is he calling to show his love to this week? Where do you need to grow in your love for others? Um, so if you'll join me in prayer, I'm going to pray for us and pray for our week as we try to love one another. And as I do so, the worship team will come and lead us in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are love. We thank you that you loved us and that you are a, our source of love. God, and I pray that as we go out this week that you would empower us, that you would give us your compassion and your emotion and your feelings of love towards those in our family and in, towards our, in terms of our church and those in our community. God, and I pray that also, though, Lord, that you would make the love in our life deeper than just emotions and feelings, but that it would be, be an outflow, be a natural response of our lives, Lord. And that even when we don't feel like it, Lord, that you would give us the, the intellect and the power and the courage uh, to love those around us. Lord, I pray that as we go out this week that you would put people on our hearts and our minds that we can love and serve. And that we would courageously step out in faith. That we would, uh, we would value others as greater than ourselves. And that we would love and model your love to the world around us. God, we pray that you would just uh, open our hearts and our minds to wherever it is you are calling us to act this week and today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.